Welcome to 5 Minutes to Midnight. My name is Mohamed Aldefani. Our guest in this episode is Israeli academic and author Ilan Pape, who will explain why so many Israeli scholars and activists are leaving Israel. A while ago, the Israeli newspaper Haaretz published an article on the growing number of intellectuals, academics and rights campaigners who have left Israel because they no longer felt it was the right place for them or their children. It said, quote, Many of those who belong to what's termed the radical left in Israel have left the country in the past decade. Among them were those who devoted their life to activism, founded political movements and headed some of the country's most important left-wing organizations. Not only Zohrot, but B'Tselem, Breaking the Silence, Coalition of Women for Peace, 21st Year, Matspen and others. The individuals include senior academics, some of whom were forced out of their jobs because of their political beliefs and activities, and also cultural figures or members of the liberal professions who felt they could no longer express their views in Israel without fear. Many came from the heart of the Zionist left and then moved farther left or locked on as the state abandoned principles that were important to them, to a point where they felt they no longer had a place in Israeli public discourse. One of those who left Israel over a decade ago and now lives in Britain is academic and author Ilan Pape, a one-time candidate from the Arab Jewish party, Hadash, and a member of the group of so-called New Historians. Unquote. In this episode, he describes how life in Israel changed to the point where it was no longer possible to live there. He also shares with us his views on when this change occurred and what prompted it. Finally, looking ahead, he considers how things might develop in Israel, both domestically and with regard to the Palestinians. Welcome to 5 Minutes to Midnight, Ilan Pape. First, tell us something about your background. What have been your most significant research findings? Yes, uh, well, I, I was born in Haifa, uh, in 1954, I grew into a kind of a typical Israeli Jewish uh, society and household. And uh, I uh, did uh, my undergraduate studies still in Israel in the Hebrew University, focusing on Middle East history and international relations. And then I decided to do my doctorate thesis at the University of Oxford. Uh, and that's when I started to focus on an area of inquiry that still uh, uh, preoccupies me until today. And this is the history of modern Palestine in general and the history of uh, the events of uh, 1948 in particular. I would probably say that my most important finding was uh, to frame uh, the events of 1948 as an ethnic cleansing operation pointing to the intentional 
uh, um, a massive expulsion of the Palestinians uh, from Palestine is part of the DNA of the settler colonial project uh, of Zionism. Uh, while other people may have pointed to that possibility, I think I was the first one to substantiate uh, this claim uh, uh, based on uh, documentation I found in the Israeli archives, in the British archives, uh, in the United Nations archives. And this process appears to be continuing today, with, especially with the, with the election of this latest uh, Netanyahu government. Indeed, uh, you know there is a, the late. There was a late scholar, who's not with us, unfortunately, of settler colonialism called Patrick Wolf, and he used to say that uh, settler colonialism is not an event; it is a structure. Namely, if the same ideology still prevails in Israel as it did in 1948, there is no reason to assume that ethnic cleansing would not be attempted again and again because the massive ethnic, ethnic cleansing in 1948 was incomplete. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, this basic idea, if I simplify it, to have as much of Palestine as possible, with as few Palestinians in it as possible, is still the main vision uh, for all the Israeli governments, and is part of, as I said before, the DNA of Zionism. So sometimes it's very massive, uh, sometimes it's very local, uh, such as in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, Silwan in the Greater Jerusalem area, uh, in the Jordan Valley, or, or in the south of uh, Mount Hebron. Uh, are you surprised at all by the international silence or indifference, and I include in that the Arab countries, uh, towards this process? That, especially in the last few years, there's been hardly a, a murmur of protest uh, about this kind of process. Yes, although one should uh, remind uh, your listeners uh, of the remarkable presence of Palestine as an issue in the Mondial, uh, but otherwise I think you're, you're absolutely uh, correct. Uh, no, I'm not surprised. I think there's a difference between the silence uh, of the Western world and the silence of the Arab world. Uh, the silence of the Western world goes back to the very origins of the colonization of Palestine, which was not just a Jewish project, <clears throat> but a Western European uh, project sustained by the United States. So uh, the silence is not surprising because after all the West decided to, to solve what it called the Jewish question, by allowing the colonization of Palestine and the dispossession of the Palestinians. The silence, the Arab world was not always silent, but the more the regimes in the Arab world are less democratic and more authoritarian, and, uh, you know, uh, are much more worried about the interest of, the, of themselves than the interests of their own people, they still see connection to the United States as an important uh, pillar that sustains their uh, regimes, uh, and therefore uh, uh, they are willing uh, to adopt the American uh, position rather than listen to what probably most of their own citizens would have liked them to do, which would be to be much more pro proactive in the support of the, uh, the Palestine cause. 
Thank you. Uh, as an academic, how did the environment at the university in Israel change in the period before you decided to leave the country? And give us an example just to illustrate. Yes. Well, there was a, a, a short period in the 1990s where there was a bit of uh, a willingness among Israeli academics to criticize the dominant narrative, or if you want, the Zionist narrative. Uh, scholars like to call that uh, a period as the post-Zionist uh, era, uh, when people were willing to at least critically engage with the basic assumptions on which the Zionist ideology is based off. Uh, and, and I fitted in into this uh, critique, but this all changed after 2000. Uh, since 2000, especially since the Second Intifada, uh, uh, the Zionist uh, liberal voices uh, totally disappeared from any meaningful say in the society, and the whole electorate has moved uh, to, to the right, and uh, the academia is never very courageous, so they tow the, uh, the dominant line. Uh, and for example, I, I can give you an example. In the 1990s, I was able to consult some of the uh, textbook writing in the Ministry of Education. I would appear in the public uh, domain and could have a conference on, on uh, the Nakba as an ethnic cleansing operation. This is now under law prohibited. And uh, anyone who dares to subscribe to my views, uh, either through their teaching or research, uh, will be at best censored and more probably would be expelled uh, or uh, silenced. Uh, so basically, the second intivada, you would say, was the main driver behind the change in attitude in Israel. Is that correct? Well, uh, for some people, I think that the, 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 most of the Zionists have not changed the point of view since they arrived in Palestine, which is that Palestine belongs to the Jews and the Palestinians are aliens. This basic uh, view has not changed. There was a, a group of more liberal Zionists, and they, especially, especially you could find them in the academia, that were trying to kind of reconcile between that uh, very bleak, and ruthless uh, uh, perspective on, this, on the reality or attitude towards the Palestinians with the hope to mitigate it with more universal principles of, of humanity, democracy, uh, liberalism or, or socialism. What I'm saying is that that particular group uh, did not dare to voice uh, its uh, views after the Second Intifada or maybe it never felt very comfortable by, by criticizing its own community, and it used as a pretext the Intifada, the second Intifada, to say, well, there's no one to talk to with the Palestinian, on the Palestinian side, so we have to join the others and, and adopt this uncompromising attitude towards the, the Palestinians. And, and this has been reflected very well in all the results of the Israeli uh, national elections from 2000 until today. Thank you. Uh, how do you see the situation in Israel changing domestically and with regard to the Palestinians, both those who are citizens of Israel and those in the West Bank and Gaza? 
Well, I think we cannot anticipate any change from within. So uh, the same policies that were pursued would be uh, pursued uh, in the future, but they will be harsher. They will be more extreme. They will be more uh, cruel, given the composition of the present government. So we will see much more uh, activity on the on the fronts of expropriation of land, of building uh, a settlement, of ethnically cleansing Palestinians uh, from certain parts of Jerusalem and the West Bank. And on the other hand, we will see tougher legislation against any attempt by the Palestinian citizens of Israel to express their Palestinian identity and also more discriminatory uh, uh, policies in terms of their uh, rights within the Israeli state. That's very depressing. Uh, Do you have any final comment you'd like to make regarding the situation in Israel and uh, perhaps how it might develop? Well, I, I think it is depressing if you, if one uh, waits for a change from within. I think we should be optimistic about our options of uh, changing the international community's uh, position. And I know that hasn't changed in terms of government's policies or political elite's policies, but there has been a fundamental shift in public opinion on Palestine all over the world. And we see it with the expansion of the uh, uh, support for the boycott, divestment and sanction campaign against Israel. So I think uh, we should focus on that rather than waiting for the change from within and also realize that the Palestinian National Liberation Movement's greatest success is to remain, to be steadfast, but they cannot defeat by themselves the Zionist uh, forces uh, or the Zionist regime. And, and I think what you need is really an international solidarity on the same scale that was there to help the ANC uh, to bring down uh, apartheid. Uh, yes, I'm pessimistic and worried for the near future, but I'm quite optimistic about uh, uh, the more distant future. I can see uh, changes and, and, and I, I, I know also from the case of South Africa, it takes time from attitudes in the civil society to be translated into policies from above. So we should all double and triple our efforts in this respect and, and hope that indeed uh, this kind of change would come uh, and I think that would uh, uh, be very significant in changing the uh, the fate of Palestine and the Palestinians. Yeah, you are certainly right about the change in the attitude of uh, the uh, public attitude uh, outside Israel. I mean, I've been in the United Kingdom for many years and I could see the change myself your view uh, seems to be consistent with uh, uh, what Miko Pellet uh, has actually said as well. He was more optimistic in the sense that if people become more educated about what is happening in Israel and in Palestine and translated that into their votes and into their uh, domestic political activity, then the change might be... Ex- uh, accelerated yes indeed but we should not of course underestimate uh, the the powers that still are there that suppress their discussion on palestine and the lobbying for israel but uh, knowing the strengths doesn't mean that we should be depressed or despair of facing them 
and and hope and, and doing all we can to change. And I think that that is possible. But uh, I think we need a, a deep breath and and to be prepared for a long struggle. It won't happen uh, in a day. Thank you very much. Just before we go, uh, what can we expect your next book to be about? Yeah, my next book is called, uh, which I hope will come out very soon, is called uh, Lobbying for Zionism on Both Sides of the Atlantic. Uh, I'm looking at the origins of the lobbying for Zionism and reminding my readers that it started as a Christian project before it was a Jewish project. And then it became a kind of a Christian-Jewish uh, alliance I mean, certain Christians, not all the Christians, of course, especially evangelical Christianity and a certain uh, uh, aspect of Judaism that laid the foundation for a very effective and powerful lobby that uh, uh, is now still in, in action. So I think it's very important to revisit the origins in order to understand the strengths, but also the weakness, uh, weaknesses of uh, lobbying for Zionism, but also appreciate what the Palestinians were, were and are facing uh, when people make comparisons to other places. Uh, I think it, it really illustrates the uniqueness of the challenge that the Palestinians face as a colonized and occupied people compared to many people who were in the past colonized or still are oppressed. Uh, uh, and, and I hope that this would uh, illuminate that that uh, these aspects of, of the question of Palestine. Thank you very much. I very much look forward to reading the book. That was Thank Ilan you. Pape talking to me, Mohammed Aldafani, on five minutes to midnight on why so many Israeli intellectuals are leaving the country. Thank you. <laughs>